Protestant contrast. Richard Bennett, converted Catholic priest, now evangelist, presents contrast. Your comments and questions will be greatly appreciated. Permission is given to record and copy the entire message. And now, here is Richard Bennett. Good to be with you again, and I'm so happy today to be able to interview Jacqueline Hissar. Jacqueline was somebody I interviewed some years ago regarding her 22 years in the convent life, and the audio tape has been quite popular and has helped very many people. And it is a great joy for me today to welcome you, Jacqueline, to the program. Welcome. My pleasure. Now, Jacqueline, you were 22 years a nun. Uh, when was it that you decided to become a nun? Well, Richard, um, I think all my life, especially being taught by nuns, uh, I was very impressed by them, and I just, I guess I was searching. I wanted to, uh, to do God's will. I wanted to be holy or maybe just follow along with what, you know, uh, I was just very impressed by the nuns that we were taught by. Yes, and you wanted to be a nun because of that. Were you quite young when you went into the country? No, I was 21. 21. I was 21 in 1954. Right. And uh, why was it that you wanted to go in? What was the motivation or the driving force, you know, behind, behind the, the decision? Was there, was there anything that was particularly motivating you, like in my own life, I really wanted to suffer because of what the Pope said and because of what Mary was supposed to say at Lourdes and Fatima. I wanted to suffer in a sense, enter the high road so that, you know, souls could uh, die in the state of sanctifying grace and that, uh, you know, the souls could be saved. But what was your motivation? I, well, I really believed it was God's will for me. And even at school, when we were in high school, uh, we would be asked, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I'd always say, I want to be a nun. Right. So it was just that you wanted to be a nun because you liked the nuns. Yeah. And it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't deeper than that. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you did go into the, into the convent, what was the name of the convent? The Sisters Adorers of the Precious Blood. The Sisters of the Adorers of the Precious Blood. And the order still exists today, doesn't yes. it? Does. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, uh, in this order, um, you had an audition, I presume, where you were prepared for postulants. We did everything right there. Yeah, and then mm -hmm. uh, you were taken the habits, and uh, before you would take any vows and anything like that. Now, what was the, what were you being trained in? Like a doors of the precious blood, you are you know, to worship uh, Christ Jesus uh, in the, um, under the symbolism of his precious blood. What else were you being taught to do? We were going, we were concentrating more on his passion. Yes, yes. Is, we were, the motto was to adore, repair, and suffer. We were to adore the precious blood, make reparation yes. by our life, by um leaving our families by living behind grills and walls uh, to make reparations for the sins of the world. Right, so that you were to do penance and suffering for the sins of the That's world. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, well, in that sense, it was quite similar to my main driving force as I actually came in. I wanted to go into the Dominican order. And um, this idea, in a certain sense, that you were to be a mini savior to the world because your sufferings exactly. are to be united with Christ's sufferings. And um, uh, that is a quite, uh, quite horrendous. Uh, concept to be living out in practice because it denotes that Christ sacrifices are sufficient to save the world and it, it comes directly contrary to so many scriptures where there, it was Christ and Christ alone who suffered for sin. But it is a big part of Catholicism and I think that um, while many American Catholics don't practice penances, that the uh, Catholic uh, definition of grace still upholds grace just as uh, a help or a need by which we respond to. So, uh, built into say the new catechism is this same concept that grace is merely a help by which we respond and we give our uh, heart to God's grace. I'd like to read from paragraph uh, 2021 of the New Catechism. Grace is the help God gives us to respond to our vocation of becoming his adopted sons. It introduces us into the intimacy of the Trinitarian life. Now here in modern day Catholicism um, is grace merely as a help. And that's in a certain sense the way you were looking at, at it as a nun that grace was a help and you were going to respond and you were going to add your own sacrifices and penances. I know it's a difficult question, Jacqueline, but what were the penances that you did in the convent? What, what acts, particular acts did you do to suffer so that um, you would make reparation for the sins of the world and join your sufferings to Christ's suffering? What, what particular things did you do? Well, we had... Um we had a skirt, we had a whip that was made of um, uh, iron stones, you know, and we would uh, beat ourselves after um, after the midnight hour, after we used to get up, you know, during the night to chant um, the office. And then after that, maybe a few times a week, we would have the discipline, we called it the discipline. Discipline, actually beat yourself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did beat myself, but it was a private thing I got permission for. I didn't realize that it was part of your regime. I'm sure it's not in present day um, um, convent life, or maybe it is in some convents, but it was back then where Catholicism was much more strictly lived in the olden days. Um, well, that is a horrendous thing to, you know, to be beating yourself. Uh, I presume you never did it to blood or, you know. No, no, I did it as light as possible. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I know uh, in my own life, I never came near blood, uh, and uh, I would wonder, was I not devout enough? Because as I read the books of the saints, they used to really flagellate themselves mm-hmm. onto blood, and you wonder, are souls not being saved and not getting time to find grace because um, I have not been devout enough? That's right. And that was your um, your path to sainthood. Yes, and it, is, it became distressing why you would think of yourself as real holy at the same time you wonder why you didn't do more <laughs> but uh, 
I it was a, a real difficult thing. Mm-hmm. I know from being there as well that uh, uh, hearing it from you, Jacqueline, and that, that it was part of your regime is, is, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, something I did not know. Were there other smaller penances you did, like humiliations and things like this? Yes, we would um, prostrate ourselves at the door of the, uh, the dining room, um, and the sisters would walk over us. And uh, we would, you know, kneel and kiss this at the feet. Yes, yes. Uh, in the dining room, just for penance. That was an act, of, an act of humiliation. Yes, yes. yes. I know that these sorts of things. We had some of that in the monastery, but it was usually given as a penance if somebody did something wrong, like they broke a plate or a glass or a cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd have to carry that around the dining room, and if they did something really bad, they would have to sit in the middle of the dining room and, and uh, take the suit kneeling on the floor. Did you, right. did you have that? Yes. It was, a, it was a, a penance where you're kneeling out in front of the, the whole establishment of the, of the convent or of the religious life or where I was in the Dominican Priory. And uh, we had um, maybe up to a hundred people in the dining room at that time. Uh, when I was uh, in Tala, uh, just uh, outside Dublin, um, the uh, convent life and the, the religious life are not as big as when we were in the convent life. But it's the same thing. It's uh, basically the same thing. Now, as you were doing this, did it get you depressed or in any way, you know, unbalanced? Did, it, did you find that this led to any difficulties in your life? Uh, you know, Richard, I just accepted it as, you know, this is what I wanted and this is what... This uh, is what you were doing. This is what it is, yes. Yes, yes. And that it was saving souls and, um, I guess, glorifying God. Yes, and uh, you really do think that these things glorify God and it's a, it's a very severe life. I look at my pictures. I have a few pictures back when I was in the in the Priory, and uh, I looked like a staff agent, I looked so serious, you know, I was intent to do good, and it was still the same, which you, right. just, you just are determined that That's you're right. going to do good, and uh, mm-hmm. all you know is Catholicism, and this is uh, religious life, and you're going to live it to the hill, so. And this is our way to God. And this is our way to God, and mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. was um, very much um, embedded into our minds. I had actually memorized Jacqueline what the Pope, that's the same gaunt, holy looking Pope, Pius XII yes. after the war. Uh, I hadn't realized his, uh, his shenanigans with uh, Mussolini and later with, uh, with Hitler. I hadn't realized uh, a lot of the things that he did were anything but holy, but I was very impressed by him. And I had memorized what he said in the encyclical letter, Mystical Body of Christ. He said, Greatness resists and source of unending contemplation, mm-hmm. that the salvation of many should depend on the prayers and sacrifices the members of the Mystical Body of Christ offer for this intention. Now, I really believe that, and it was possibly the same sort of mindset that you were believing. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Mary was supposed to have said at Fatima, that many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray or do penance for them. So we were going to do prayer and to suffer and do penances. Now besides that, uh, a big part of Catholic life 
then and now is the sacraments. The Catholic Church says in paragraph 1129 of the New Catechism that the sacraments are necessary for salvation and that sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit. So the power of grace that comes out of these seven physical signs we were told then and we're told now uh, was the uh, power of the Holy Spirit and uh, or the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now what sacraments did you do you know, intensely so that you could become holy and receive what we call sanctifying grace? Well, I was, I was going to confession once practically every day, yes. every week. Um, and we had a um, very wise chaplain, and he said, this, this isn't necessary, but I wanted, once I knew what grace was, that grace would, you know, give us more of the influence of God, I said, well, that's what I want. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's that. Actually, I, at one stage, and it wasn't for very long, I used to go to confession every day, and I was a priest. I really annoyed with me, too, because I said, if this is the way I'm filled with sanctifying grace, I want more and more. And even though I, I may only have little, little venial sins, I want to confess them so that I get more and more grace. So, in that sense, we were quite similar. While I was in Dublin, Ireland, or just outside Dublin, and you were, was it here in, in, in Brooklyn, New York? Yes. So it was, um, we were in different parts of the world, but with the same mindset. There was the same mindset that possibly you had, like I had, that I wanted to go to communion as much as possible, so that I could be filled with sanctifying grace and grow holier. Did you really think or experience that you were getting holier and knowing Christ Jesus better when all of this was going on back then? Never. Never, yeah. Never. I was getting more depressed, more... I just didn't know what was wrong. I I was just... I just felt empty. Yes, empty. yes. Like right. I was just reaching, reaching, reaching all the time for God and, and just could not attain it. Couldn't attain what the... Um, uh, the sanctity that was expected of us as nuns. Yes, yes. You are searching and searching and still empty and empty. Mm-hmm. And I have found that from speaking with other former nuns and other former priests. And it is really hard that you search so much, you do penances, you keep going to the sacraments, you go to communion daily. Sometimes I would take an extra mass to get communion a second time. And, you know, you're doing all of this and you're not experiencing any closer walk with Christ and it doesn't, you're ending up frustrated and it's, it's a, it is a real difficult thing. Did this drive you to anything like um, tranquilizers or I wouldn't ask you, I know that the nuns didn't go in the bathroom <laughs> Priest might later on have taken a little bit of alcohol or something to say to your nerves. Maybe I shouldn't ask that then, but that. Uh, yeah. No, I, I was on, I was taking Valium. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. I know other nuns who have taken tranquilizers, and it, it's really sad that, you know, as you're trying to live the devout life, you end up on Valium or some other sedative, and uh, it becomes uh, depressing because um, it's, dulls your mind and instead of 
instead of growing in the knowledge and fear of God, your mind is becoming more and more Terrible. more and more blurred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, does this drive you into any other form of Catholicism? Like, are you led into any other fields in Catholicism? In the mystical. In the mystical thing, yes. Yes, yes Richard. Um, I was... Um, Somehow I got the uh, the spiritual canticle St. John of the Cross. Yes. And uh, she was a nun. We were we were discussing that uh, how to reach transforming union. And then I really believe that I have reached this transforming union, and uh, you know the very height of sanctity. Yes, yes, yes. So it makes you feel higher than anyone else, or higher than all the nuns. And, yes. Um, it's like a euphoria. Yes, it's the transforming yeah. union. Just Jacqueline was said here. I know I, I was searching for that. We had mental prayer twice a day in the priory and uh, in the vision, and then once a day in the priory. That was before we had the divine office for half an hour. And you can be seeking this, um, what we call infused contemplation, mm-hmm. the same sort of thing. You're trying to bypass the mind to get into. Uh, immediate connection with who God really is and it is really um, deceptive and it can be an euphoria that uh, is anything but godly and uh, it's, uh, it is very very deceptive and uh, some of our heroes I know of my heroes later on as I even as a priest thought more were people like Thomas Merton and mm-hmm. Thomas Merton um, got deeply into communicating with the right. with the Buddhists and their search for direct uh, union with God that bypasses the mind and uh, it brings in a lot of uh, weird concepts uh, that are mm-hmm. in very many ways pagan concepts because this is what the Buddhists did and that uh, the Sufis in uh, in Islam or well, the Muslim religion, so it is uh, quite deceptive. And uh, I was big into some uh, um, uh, Merton. Did, did, did you read yeah. some of that? Oh yes, he had a terrible death. He was actually yeah. with the the Buddhist president in Tibet or something. Yeah. He had somewhere yeah. over there, yeah. and uh, he was electrocuted having a shower yeah. in the morning. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a, a real, real terrible way to go out of this world, and while at the same time to be in communication with, uh, you know, these Buddhists. Um, mm-hmm. It was the Dalai Lama that later on, you know, the famous Dalai Lama, the, the head of the spiritual head of the yeah. Buddhists, that prayed at Thomas Merton's grave at the family and oh, said, now our spirits are one. Oh, and he, uh, that uh, with, uh, with Merton dead, he saw his spirit one with uh, Merton's spirit. And uh, mm-hmm. that is expressed by other leading Buddhists, whereby they recognize that uh, Catholicism uh, has somehow merged or joined hands with them. I think it's really sad because... Uh, you know, this is not just your testimony, Jacqueline, or part of my testimony, but this is official Catholicism. I'd like to read from uh, Vatican Council through documents. It was one of the last documents 
Nostra Aetate, 1965, uh, where the Vatican Council was coming to an end, and they declared their acceptance of uh, both Hinduism and Buddhism. I'd like to read exactly word for word from those documents because this is still relevant and uh, um, the Catholic Church also joins hands with Islam and uh, of course in Islam we have the Sufis who um, have their form of mysticism. Reading from Vatican II documents, uh, document number 56 and it's not very tactic. In Hinduism men explore the divine mystery and express it in both the limitless riches of myth and the accurately defined insights of philosophy. They seek release from the trials of the present life by aesthetical practices, profound meditation and recourse to God in confidence and love. Buddhism proposes a way of life by which man can, with confidence and trust, attain a state of perfect liberation and reach supreme illumination either through their own efforts or by the aid of divine help. The Catholic Church rejects nothing of what is true and holy in these religions. End of quotation. So that is really horrendous that man can by his own efforts reach uh, supreme illumination. That is uh, paganism and that is the Catholic Church giving its authentic stamp to paganism and it is a, a part of modern Catholicism where in the past they did not accept Buddhism or Hinduism and now they accept both and they accept the Muslim faith too like in paragraph uh, e 41 of the New Catechism where they say that they have the same faith as Abraham as we have. It is really, really sad and so what you are saying in your testimony of practicing mysticism uh, is very relevant because um, these things are recognized officially by the Catholic Church and actually they're coming into a lot of the self-aid programs and medical oh, things yeah. and then psychological mm -hmm. things, a lot of popular books, even in uh, bookstores that call themselves uh, Christian, it's really new age things under the title of Zen Buddhism or uh, Sufi type of meditations and we get the Catholic people like uh, William Shannon and uh, Keating and others who uh, show the um, acceptance of New Age practices uh, along together with uh, Catholicism. I would urge people uh, viewing or if you are viewer were really interested or listening to this program to go to our webpage where I have an article written on this called The Mystic Plague uh, where I document uh, different uh, Catholic authors who are into this. So this is very relevant it is modern-day Catholicism and it is lethal because it is the disguised, the religious disguised New Age uh, philosophy that has come in to Catholicism and true Catholicism is permeating somewhat or a lot into the, um, the um, Christian world. 
Now, were you also into TM transcendental meditation? Yes, and most, and also come through. That was the beginning of our program with Carradine. Yes. yes, I used to be just mesmerized by that. Now, was that actually mm-hmm. in the convent that you were in Kongfu? No, no, I used to watch it on TV. You watched it on TV. Okay, so, uh, and in TM, was that while you were not or after you left? Uh, Richard, I don't think that I was that much into TM. I can't remember. Um, I don't think I had any books on it. Yoga. Yoga, yoga, yeah. Because there was a Jesuit priest who used to come and, and um, he was into yoga. Yeah, and he would teach yeah. the yoga. Well, that's a preliminary step mm-hmm. into the um, and uh, it's, it's the same awesome. sort of thing. A Jesuit priest teaching yoga is um, like the Catholic Church is initiating of people into mm-hmm. the mystical ways. So I find that very interesting, and I think it is most important that people understand these things because uh, it is Christ Jesus who saves us from our sins and it is he who frees us from the kingdom of darkness. I'd like to read the Apostle Paul's words of some certain Colossians chapter 1 which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We are in union with Christ Jesus by grace, through faith, and in Him, and delivered from the kingdom of darkness. So we are delivered from all deceit and false ideas that man can bypass the mind and literally bypass Christ Jesus, the one mediator, and His death and His resurrection. Uh, all of this so-called mysticism and direct union with God is totally against the teaching of the. Bible, and we are delivered from that, the Apostle Paul said, and translated into the kingdom of his son. So praise God, hallelujah. I but think, Richard, it's, it's just a matter of, um, I think it's wanting to be just like the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, to be like God. It's really just a very indirect way of wanting to, like being many saviors, as if to be on a par with God. Yes, and I think that's probably a a uh, better way to conclude than I was concluding there. It's mm-hmm. really trying to desire to have your mind, uh, your eyes open and your mind open so that you can be like God. Right. And that is the very first temptation by which Satan tried to tempt Eve or did tempt Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, you shall be like God. And uh, trying to reach this mystical union, direct contact with God uh, by meditation uh, or mystical experience is really giving into the very first temptation. So we say these things truthfully and in the love of Christ Jesus so that your eyes would be opened and that you would know that it is only by grace that you are saved and as the Lord convicts you and you trust and find Jesus alone that you get a real joy unspeakable and not an emptiness of these things a real joy unspeakable and full of glory and that Jacqueline you finally reached and came to but how was it you're in a convent and it's not an ordinary convent uh, I have interviewed other former nuns and they were teaching nuns and uh, somebody like Lolly Harding who I interviewed, she was a medical nun and here and there and doing medical work and you know she was up and around and you were 
uh, in a cloister and very much excluded and doing reparation and very much in the confines of the convent. So how did you hear the gospel exactly? Because it doesn't look like there's any way that the gospel can you get into where you are in this very secluded type of life. Well, um, a cousin of mine who was a Christian would come and she would visit us and she would tell us about uh, all Christian teachers and um, then one day she brought a, a minister, Protestant minister, to the convent and, and he said that he was doing a, um, having a, uh, like a seminar, a um, outside of the Catholic Church, I don't remember. Yeah, around, somewhere around the convent. It was like a treatment. Okay, he was treating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked permission to go, and um, my superior then, she's dead now, but she was um, very into the Lord, very much so. She and was seeking herself, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, yeah. And she, uh, she knew that I had problems, that I was really um, depressed physically, spiritually, and she let me go. And I heard the gospel. He was telling us that only by grace will we saved. I said, God, I don't know what she's talking about, what he's talking about, but um, I accepted. Yes, yes, yes. And that it wasn't by works, it wasn't by rosaries or church membership, um, but only it was a gift. A gift of God. That like it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and Through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. Yes, yes. And that, I'm sure, was a great revelation to you, you know, so, so um, you believe right. then, was it like That's the right. street that you really trusted That's right. Christ? I trusted Christ, right. Yeah. So it was a, a nun now on the streets of Brooklyn <laughs> hearing, the, hearing the gospel yes. and uh, a distant cousin as I was preaching it, yeah, so. No, no, she was the one who brought me. Oh, she was the one who brought you on She brought the, the minister. brought the minister and he was preaching yes. on the street. Yes. Okay, so that is interesting. Uh, about what year was that, uh, Jackie? Seventy-five. Seventy-five, yeah. Now, uh, you go back to the convent. Um, and then I stay two more years. You stay two more years. Now, what are you doing in those two more years now? Because, you know, you know the Lord and, uh, you know, you, you have you know, gone beyond emptiness now to mm -hmm. you know, experience His presence and to trust in Him alone. Were you having difficulties then? Still, because um, I was trying to, to get into the Bible. I always loved the Word. Yes. But yes. we weren't actually taught it. We weren't, you know, given uh, the real theological um, summations of the Bible. You know, it always had to be interpreted for us. But after two years, I realized that I could no longer uh, live under the authority of the superior or the Pope but just the authority of, of the Jesus Christ of the Bible. So I left and um, here I am after 27 years. Yes, yes. Uh, did you try to share with any of the other sisters what you had found? I don't, th I don't think so. You don't think so? You really did? I don't think so. Um, I know that some folk gospel businessmen tried to speak to them because they came once to the dining, to the reception room, but um, it just caused a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, yes, 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 yes. So, um, 
But at that time, really, I didn't know anything, and I just, I just realized that I had to leave. Yes, yes. Uh, that is quite similar to other former nuns that I've interviewed. That at the beginning you trust in Christ Jesus and you trust in Him alone, and you know it's not by rituals and works, and you know that it's based on the Bible mm-hmm. alone. But things are still quite hazy, and you're that's right. You are groping, and you do not want to leave, and you know that you've got to leave, and it's uh, it right. can be painful while you're at peace with God, it can be quite painful and uh, I can understand how it took two years before you actually did leave. Now before we get to you leaving the convent and all, something that I wanted to ask you Jacqueline, going back to you know, when you were going to the, uh, doing the sacraments and when you were also trying to do penances, were you also into trying to um, pray to Mary and to be devoted to Mary? Was that part Oh, of I was always devoted to Mary. Yes. 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 To pray to her. Um, I didn't know her as a mediatrix. Um, I just chose to pray to Mary and I just automatically would say the rosary, make the um, rosary novenas. Yes. Was it any, Even actual, was it any actual precise definition of um, the way the Catholic Church looks at Mary, like the Catholic Church has different ways of looking at Mary, uh, you know, as the mediatrix of all grace, you said you weren't into that, but like the Immaculate Heart of Mary, yes, the Immaculate was that Heart the way, Mary. yes, mm-hmm. yes, that more goes back to Lourdes and uh, mm-hmm. um, the apparition, yes, to 1854 mm-hmm. and the declaration that uh, Mary was immaculately conceived and uh, that she never had original sin. Uh, that teaching of the Catholic Church that was defined back in 1864. Um, actually, I was quite into some of that myself. Uh, when I left Rome in 1964, um, I was highly depressed because Rome seemed to be so unholy of the city and uh, I was really depressed by these students. We had about 300 of them in the class where I was studying, and they didn't seem to be developed like I was. And a lot of them were just seeking for positions in the Catholic Church. And uh, at the end of my year in Rome, I was um, very taken aback, and I was afraid that I was losing my Catholic devotion mm-hmm. and my devotion to Mary's Immaculate Heart. So I decided to return from Rome uh, by way of France and Lourdes. And I went to the apparition site at Lourdes so that I could be devoted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I wanted to do penance and to sort of build up my life of penance so that those could be saved. And I did one of the more difficult things I've ever done that but I'm sorry this is your testimony but I just wanted to explain this because you brought up the immaculate heart of Mary I um, went into the bath for people go to be healed and uh, there was a lot of mucus membrane and things mm-hmm. there it was quite dirty the bath because people go to be healed of all types of illnesses and I took the water in my hand and drank it and I said that Mary was 
keep me from getting any serious disease and I was doing this as a penance and it was like I could sense that in my stomach for hours afterwards and I was trying to do penance so it was like I stepped over the edge. <laughs> this is the, it was one of the more ghastly things I had ever done but that was the height of my devotion. I was trying to build myself up after the disappointments of life in Rome and uh, being at the Angelican University and not finding the devotedness that... Like Juan Luther. Yes, yes, in a certain sense. And uh, so it was um, doing that then, uh, I was hoping to see holier and more devout and uh, to do what Mary had asked to suffer for souls and to honor her immaculate heart. and. Uh, I can understand what you went through. Uh, did did you come to an end of that, or in all your days in the convent you continued to be devoted to Mary? No, I was still devoted to you Mary. You were still devoted to Mary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when you accepted faith in Christ alone, mm-hmm. did you struggle with praying to Mary, or did it take you a while to get beyond that? I don't remember. Yeah. Richard, I don't remember those two years. Um, I guess the Holy Spirit was just working in me to just leading me, leading me out. And um, I remember what really made me decide to leave was we were having a retreat and um, I asked the priest if he believed in Satan. I just stood up and I said, do you believe in Satan? And he said, um, well, you know, not really. So just at that, I just up and I walked out and I was just, sobbing and I went up and I just said, I've got to leave. Mm-hmm. This is it. This is the end. Yeah, that, that can happen in Catholicism where people don't believe basics. You know, I, mean, I don't believe in Satan. Like, we had a, a priest in Trinidad and he didn't believe that Christ was divine, you know. And uh, he didn't believe that Christ was a true man and true God. He didn't believe he was a true God. He believed he was a true man and an example to believers. And um, I used to say to the Archbishop and to other priests who were, you know, coming down on me because I was doubting the authority of the Church and I was doubting the sacraments of ways of making us holy and wanting to look to Christ. I said, why don't you, why don't you get after him? You know, I mean, he's, he's denying the divinity of Christ. But a lot of things are tolerated in the Catholic Church that seem to be essential part of uh, what Christian teaching is, that Satan is a real person uh, and uh, a lot of these things are tolerated. It's once you don't give in to, uh, once you don't uh, come away from believing in Holy Mother Church and that's, that's where, where the Catholic Church lives. I just like to read and this is hard but I think we've got to say it. The Catholic Church says in paragraph 181 of the New Catechism, Believing is an ecclesial act. The Church's faith precedes, engenders, supports, and nourishes our faith. The Church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as father who does not have the Church as mother. Mm. Now that is hard, that mm-hmm. putting the motherhood of the Church way up with the fatherhood mm-hmm. of God, and it's saying it as you do not believe in Holy Mother, you cannot believe in the fatherhood of God. And that is in a certain sense with a mind of Catholics are. Our message to you today, uh, dear viewer and dear listener, is that um, it is to look to Christ 
as the orphan village of the state and not to any church and it is to directly trust on his finished work, his perfect life and to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but should ever have everlasting life. Was well, that actually part of your leaving that you knew that God so loved the world and that you wanted to walk in communion with, uh, with Christ the rest of your life? Richard, I have looked upon God as so unapproachable and I fear Him so much because I had to go through so much physical illnesses and I always thought that it was His will that I suffered. So I never, it was until many years after I left and then um, through counseling, through uh, studying the Word, um, studying the, the history of the Catholic Church, that, I, that the Lord in His great mercy uh, bore me into a knowledge of himself, you know, um, I did not lose that fear of him immediately. Yes, I think that that's, that is really good that you brought that out, Jacqueline, and I think it's really got to be said that many of us in devout convent living and devout living in a priory or others in monasteries, and uh, we had this idea of God as real stern and of the, the uh, God's hatred of sin and how serious sin was, mortal sin, and we had this fear in us and like a guilt complex that was mm-hmm. continually mm-hmm. like a cloud over us. And uh, I know it was refreshing for me to get into the scriptures. Uh, a big part of my own search uh, in looking for what grace really was and what faith really was was also a search for the Abba Father. I saw that Christ Jesus continually called God Father. I think it's 170 times if you count the times that Christ Jesus used the word Father that's written in the Gospel. Of course he would have said it continually but that's recorded. As far as I remember he was 170 times and that even in the Garden of Gethsemane he said, Abba Father, which is like Papa God. And then I was really desirous to know what the Apostle Paul said when in the 8th chapter of Romans he said, The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God, whereby we cry out, Abba Father. And my inner desire, Jacqueline, was to, was to know God as an Abba Father, to know that I was in the everlasting arms, and to know the intimate love of a loving Father. And this was a, a real big part of my search, that I could know that God is love, like the Apostle John says in his first letter that God is love that the same God in whom is the Holy One he is light in whom there is no darkness no shadow of turning that that same God could be uh, our Abba Father and in my own life I was trying to struggle with this and a big part of my struggle was that why was it that the same Christ Jesus had always prayed Father on the cross did not pray, Father. He said, in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why has thou forsaken me? And I began to try and put this together. And the only answer I could come up with was what the Apostle Paul had said at the very last verse in chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That it was at that time on the cross that he took that your sin, my sin on himself, that he knew the wrath of God. He knew God's hatred of sin. In the words of Peter, he bore our sins in his body on the tree and he took the full wrath of God. And that's why he prayed the words of the psalm because in a certain sense he knew a million hells. He knew the 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 horrific position of being legally sinned. He became legally sinned so that the believer could become righteous in God's sight by trusting in Him alone. Now that was part of my search as a priest and uh, it was an intimate part of my search for the intimate love of the Father. So I can identify with you, Jacqueline. I'm so happy that you bring that up because it reverberates inside me because it was a very much a part of my own testimony it's not something that I normally mention so I'm really happy that you bring that out so how did you eventually now you've left the convent how did you eventually come to really experience a God personally the Father personally loved you well as you were speaking I, I was I got this thought that um I always loved God as my father. In fact, I was always attracted more to the Old Testament. But now I realize why Catholics are more attracted to Mary, going by way of Mary to God instead of Jesus, because it's Jesus who I fear. You know, you see him on the cross, um, and you're expected to, to suffer like him, to be a victim like him, because um, at the Mass, the Mass is we're told that we offer ourselves in union with Jesus Christ. So I always wanted to, you know, sort of obliterate that and, and uh, when I would be on a sick bed or ready to go into a surgery or something, I wanted to say, you know, this is your will, God, but still I just hated it and feared it so much. And that's why I feared, I hated to see Jesus on the cross because I was supposed to be a victim like that. Yes, yes. But it was afterwards, of course, when it's only through knowledge of the Word that we come to, you know, who God really is, who Jesus really is, and what He did. That it's only knowledge that will help us to get some sanity of mind about Him. Yes, and it's by reading and rereading the precious Word of God in your Bible that you know who God is. And by getting good teaching. Yes. Getting good teaching uh, is so important. In a church where Christ is really exalted mm -hmm. and that the mm -hmm. person of Christ is exalted and that the, the very word of God is magnified. Mm -hmm. I know again and again that, that I have tried to memorize scripture so that I would know who right. Christ Jesus is. Sometimes yeah. in, in Texas where I now live I would walk along with road that is close to our house and the, you know, the, the sun is coming down and it's usually a bright 
say, you know, and uh, I would think of Christ Jesus' relationship with the Father, as it says in chapter 1 of Hebrews, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His presence, and upholding all things by the word of His power, who, when He had by Himself purged us sin, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The wonder of a text like that to teach you who Christ is, is the, the brightness of the Father's story, the express image of His presence, so absolutely divine, one with the Father. He upholds all things, that is, That's the right. beauty of nature, creation, mm-hmm. the stars, mm-hmm. the little flowers, you know, the trees, and all that makes up creation. He upholds all things by the word of His power. You know, right. it's that it's things subsisting in Him. It's not only that God created the world, but all things hold together by the, by right. the word of the Lord and it's Christ Jesus that holds all the word. Yes. Right. And then when he had mm-hmm. by himself purged the sins, when he had died where I should have died, when he took my sin upon himself, when he purged my sin mm-hmm. and now is seated at the right hand of the Majesty and High. Now he is glorified with the Father, no longer suffering, no longer a victim. That's right. And it was uh, by himself he purged the sins. It's not with the help of the non Jackson teacher or or of myself as a trying to suffer. It's by himself. It's not mm-hmm. only Mother Church suffering with him. He suffered by himself. And well, it's not of scripture. Mm-hmm. But it was his perfect offering and the insult it gives to God, the Father, and to the Son to propose that we in any way can cooperate mm-hmm. or in any way to reflect that grace is solely an aid or a help by which we respond. Uh, grace is who our gracious God is. Um, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Like Paul in Romans chapter 3 gets enthusiastic, he says, but now the righteousness of God is manifest in, in being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus unto all them that believe there is no difference. For all of sin that come falls short of the glory of God. That the perfect life, the righteousness of God, who is the perfect Christ Jesus, is manifest. And the commandment of God is to believe on Him. And how is it to believe on him? Freely. As he directly justifies you. So it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. And you trust on Christ Jesus and him alone. And then you know that abundant life that he has come to share. I am so rejoicing, Jacqueline, that your testimony is so clear, so precise, and that you have really come from the darkness of, of you know, of um, mysticism, the darkness of uh, sacramentalism, mm-hmm. the darkness of looking to Mary and Mary's Immaculate Heart, uh, on all of these things, and looking to God alone. Yes, when I first left Richard, um, and miraculously met Mrs. Allen, Carol, I think that you met her once. Yes, yes. Um, I met her through someone I met on the subway going from work 
And uh, but she told me when she first met me, she said, you were the twin. Yes, yes. In my mind, I had no mind. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, you can be really mystified and God mm-hmm. saves you and you are, in a sense, looking for light and you need to be taught the scriptures and... Uh, Give the sanity of mind. And uh, to get sanity of mind. But God is faithful and true. Oh, and He gives us a sound mind and uh, a way to express the truth in God's love. And that's, that is our purpose in this interview, is to exalt Christ Jesus to show His abundant goodness, to show His perfect life, to show the love of the Father, and to exalt the Holy Spirit that is the Holy Spirit that gives life. The flesh has nothing to offer, as Christ Jesus says. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, precious viewer, look to look to Christ alone and cry out for the light of the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to convict you, to lead you, and you will have your testimony, and it would be lovely to hear from you. Um, it has been a great encouragement uh, to me and to others that I have interviewed that we have heard from people, and um, to know that as we try to reach out, and uh, do reach out, that the Lord is effective and that He saves many. So it's a great encouragement. You will find uh, our web page at the bottom of the screen, and I urge you to write to us and let us know how God is working in your life, because that's the whole purpose of what we do. What message would you give now to a precious Catholic person watching that right now? I know it's a difficult question. Um, well, the one, the one scripture that helped me so much when I, when I left was in Hebrews, I'll never leave and forsake you. And I just trusted in the Lord for 27 years. It's Christianity, the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a religion. It's a oneness with Him. It's knowing His Word, it's, it's living life with Him and in Him. It's um, accepting a wonderful gift that is offered to us as He did on the cross. He did it all. And it was finished. It, it's, it's for us to just... He bore it so that we can walk free. Yes, so we can rest on it. And that's... I don't think you could have said it better, Jacqueline. That 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 oh. is it. It's to rest on Christ Jesus. It's not mm-hmm. any work or endeavor. It is to say, I rest on what He did, mm-hmm. His perfect life, His perfect sacrifice. I rest on trust on what He accomplished, and I say. All praise to God because in resting there, knowing that I'm a sinner, knowing that I need a substitute, and knowing that He is faithful. You can be yourself. And and then it's that joy and it is Mm -hmm. the the fact that the truth sets Mm -hmm. us free. The name of the book in which your testimony is the first Mm -hmm. and the truth does set us free. And uh, 
That we is our pray to him. That is our purpose. Our prayers are answered. It's not a struggle. You just at every moment when things come to us, or troubles, or problems, or joy, it's just you know, Lord, just show me the way, and our prayers are answered immediately. Our prayers are answered, and it is, it truly is an abundant life as we walk with the Lord. And that's what we're sharing with you today. Mm -hmm. And this is your life too as you trust on Christ Jesus. So thank you for viewing and Jacqueline has been a joy to be with you. And thank all, you so much. All Richard. praise and glory be to the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening. If the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.dereanbeacon.org. Goodbye and God bless you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L, 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.